Good day, my dearly despondent. I'm excited to be here with you once again. We've all survived to another episode, and that's most excellent. Back in our first season, I alluded to a future episode on Dark Goddesses of the Graveyard. And then, as one listener pointed out, I didn't get around to it. Well, I'm about to fix that mistake. At least, I'm going to start fixing that mistake right after this brief message from our sponsor. This episode of The Mortician's Daughter is brought to you by the Ravenswing Magical Co-op, an employee-owned cooperative where magic happens every day. Hey to all you Portlanders, do you need a little more magic in your life? The Ravenswing is a magical employee-owned cooperative located in the Selwood neighborhood in Southeast to meet all your mystical needs. We also offer intuitive and accurate personal readings. Whether you're looking for tarot, oracle, or astrology readings, the team at the Ravenswing is happy to provide. And if you don't live here in Portland, all the insightful services and magical goods can be found online as well as in person. Head to theravenswing.com to schedule a reading today. The Ravenswing Magical Co-op makes magic happen every day. Okay, so there are too many fearsome goddesses to cover in just one episode. Instead, we're going to focus on three that sit near and dear to my heart. Persephone, Maman Brigitte, and Kali. So, we should probably get started because there's a lot of ground to cover. In fact, we'll be spanning the globe on this one today. So let's begin with ancient Greece and the goddess Persephone. Persephone is the daughter of Demeter, the harvest goddess, and Zeus, the sky god who served as team captain to the goddesses and gods of Olympus. Taking after her mother, Persephone was a spring goddess, or as I like to say, she's our goddess of plants. And, much like people, plants follow life and death cycles. They just generally do it faster than people. I definitely hope people live a lot longer than the plants I personally care for. I would say don't worry about that because statistics are in your favor. Anyway, the story of Persephone goes something like this. She was kidnapped by Hades, the powerful god of the underworld, and then taken to the underworld. It's even said that Zeus, her father, gave stamp of approval on this abduction and subsequent rape of Persephone because Hades claimed to love her. The one thing these monsters forgot about was Persephone's mother, Demeter, the goddess of, now say it with me, the harvest. All right, so Demeter discovers her daughter is missing in panics. She searched earth, like all of it. While this is happening, she's not tending to her harvest duties. Things aren't growing. People go hungry. The entire pantheon is upset about the situation. Until finally, Helios, the sun god, tells her where Persephone is. At this point, Zeus realizes he needs to get this problem he helped create resolved. He demands Hades return Persephone to Earth and to her mother. This god of the underworld is so shady, he lets her leave, but offers her a snack for the road. Just a few pomegranate seeds, which she eats. And that right there is the kicker. You can't eat things in the underworld if you plan on ever leaving. And since we're on the topic, same rules apply to the fairy realms. Eat something and you get stuck. 
Okay, so this totally ruined the plan. An agreement had to be struck. Instead of returning to Earth free and clear, Persephone would have to spend a third of the year with Hades in the underworld. So, the time Persephone spends in the underworld, ruling beside Hades, is what we know as winter. The growing and harvest seasons happen when she is back on Earth. Now, some folks say Persephone was given say in the matter and ran off with Hades because she loved him. You know, the story's less about rape and abduction and more about love and ruling over a dark realm. Whether that's revisionist history or where things first started, well, I frankly don't care. And more importantly, I don't care which version of the story you want to tell either. Maybe Persephone is empowered in her choice to eat the pomegranate seeds. Maybe she wanted to be the dark queen of the underworld, and those seeds were her last attempt to hold on to her life in that realm. Or maybe it was just another act of violence committed by men against women. Who knows? I will tell you that Persephone was a figure of dread for many. In Homer's epics, she appears beside her husband as paired rulers. As the goddess of death, she was sometimes said to actually draw her lineage from Zeus and Styx. Yes, the river Styx. Not sure how that works exactly, but that would not be the first and only time in ancient Greece that a river's been involved in a matter of the heart. Okay, back to Persephone and Demeter. There were agrarian cults devoted to this mother-daughter pair, and they honored the goddesses every year with a little something called the Eleusinian Mysteries. This annual festival marked the story in three parts, the descent, the search, and the ascent. The search, of course, pertains to Demeter's search for her daughter. Participation in the ritual was said to increase longevity and ensure a happy afterlife. Important Greeks of ancient history, like Plato and Marcus Aurelius, had taken part in these ceremonies. I mean, I wasn't there, but I've heard. So some scholars believe these rites for the harvest goddess and her springtime daughter might even precede the Greeks and have been associated with the Minoan poppy goddess. Okay, so the Eleusinian mysteries can get pretty rowdy. There's a night of celebration, which often includes the use of hallucinogenics to encourage spiritual visions. Personally, I like to think of Persephone as an I-do-what-I-want kind of girl who snagged those seeds to stay with a person she loved in a realm she ruled. If Persephone would like to correct that narrative, I am totally open to hearing it. Now, some might argue that the next one on our list is not a goddess at all. In truth, she's a loa, or spirit, in Haitian voodoo. Haitian voodoo is similar in some ways to other religions or spiritual practices of the African diaspora, like Santeria. But each belief system is very unique. But, like I said, there is some overlap. Maman Brigitte is a death loa who claims graveyards as her terrain, along with her husband, Baron Samdi. She is sometimes also called Grand Brigitte, or sometimes just gran or monmon, which means mother. So, ever so briefly, we're going to touch upon this part of history, which deserves a whole lot more time than just a brief mention. 
In fact, it deserves like classroom time. But we need to get back to Maman Brigitte. When Africans were stolen from their homes and brought to the Americas to work as slaves, they were not allowed to continue the spiritual practices of their homeland. Their gods, or rather the spirits they revered, could not be openly worshipped. Instead, we see some synchronicity emerge when the enslaved African people and their descendants hid their sacred figures behind Catholic saints. There's over a thousand loa. And keep in mind, there are some 10,000 Christian saints and an arguable 330 million Hindu deities, just to offer some perspective. Okay, Mama Brigitte is sometimes associated with or represented by Bridget of Kildare. St. Bridget was one of the patron saints of Ireland, along with St. Patrick and St. Columba. And she was said to be the daughter of a chieftain and a slave woman. Bridget, however, goes back to Celtic culture who preceded the Christians in Ireland. In fact, St. Bridget's feast day actually falls on the 1st of February, which is also known as Imbolc, the day that marks the beginning of spring in the pagan religions of the British Isles. Now, is it a coincidence that St. Bridget's feast day falls on the same day as Imbolc? Probably not. Okay, but back to a different continent. In Haitian voodoo, the Bondi is the ultimate supreme being. It is the Bondi that make the universe and assign its order. However, Bondi is not available for direct interactions with humans and relies on loas to act as intermediaries. Maman Brigitte rules over cemeteries and graveyards. She watches over graves marked for her protection. Depending on where you lie on the gender spectrum, offerings might be made to her at the time of your death. For you masculine types, offerings could be made to Baron Samdi, her partner in all things, so that he might watch over you in the great whatever. Loas aren't usually your pious saintly types. No, their proclivities often run in the opposite direction. Mama Brigitte drinks rum with hot peppers, swears like a sailor, and loves fire, dancing, and black roosters. Green, purple, and black are the colors associated with her. Mama Brigitte is one of the Getty, Loas of death and fertility. Much like the Persephone-Demeter narrative, Mama Brigitte and the Getty connect life and death in one ongoing cycle. Mama Brigitte is called upon to protect mothers in childbirth, just as she's called upon to protect the final resting place of women who have passed on. She offers healing to those who have not hit their expiration date. She protects women. Mama Brigitte shows us that life and death exist side by side and not in opposition to one another. She and her husband stand watch over life and death, over our histories and our heritage, and yes, over our graveyards, which is where you will most likely find her if you need to make a request. She is fierce and a protector of women, so all you evildoers out there, you have been warned. Some scholars do suggest that Maman Brigitte is one of the Haitian Loa whose origin traces back to Europe and St. Bridget, rather than the Orisha of the Yoruba people in Nigeria. But others point to Oya, an Orisha associated with death and rebirth, as well as stormy weather, when you're looking for the origin of Maman Brigitte. Frankly, not my call. <laughs>
but I do know that I respect the life and death balance Mama Brigitte holds in her graveyard home. Okay, time for one more. You ready? Then let's jump right in with Kali, Hindu goddess of destruction. Perhaps you've seen her. Wild hair, wild eyes, usually has dark blue skin. Oh, and then there's the necklace made from demon heads. Kali emerged when the goddess Durja was attacked by two asuras, or demigods. She became enraged. Her face turned dark and Kali emerged wearing a tiger skin and slew the two demons, or evil asuras. When Kali went on to fight another asura, one who can replicate himself in every drop of blood that hits the ground, that's when things got weird. She unrolled her tongue and killed the demon and his clones, catching the blood on her tongue as it fell. Of course, too much demon blood is bad for you, even if you happen to be a goddess. Kali's bloodlust runs wild, and she set off on a path of destruction. Only when Shiva intervenes and lies beneath her so she can stand on him is Kali appeased. Kali is fierce, she is rage, she is a force of time, and dear listeners, you can't stop time. Kali and Shiva together represent the destructive part of the triadic nature of the universe, creation, preservation, and destruction, then back to creation. When things are destroyed, new things can come into being. In tantric interpretations, Shiva and Kali represent the unification of consciousness and energy. And, unlike the Western world depiction of Tantra, it is a practice of extreme discipline and not lavaciousness. For the third time in this episode, we start off with a ferocious graveyard goddess holding court amongst the tombstones, only to find out they are connected to life as much as death. And that's because death is a part of the life cycle. You can't have one without the other. And that's why we're gathered here today, to acknowledge death as a part of life, to look at it and think about it and wonder. I really hate unknowable things, but I do like scope for the imagination. Whether you ask Persephone or Mama Brigitte or Kali or even St. Bridget to serve as your guide, I suggest exploring the graver side of all things. I mean, could we really appreciate the splendor of spring if it didn't follow winter? I don't know. But I do know that we don't have an option, and pretending otherwise is a surefire way to a personal crisis. Friends make friends. Consider the implications of their inevitable demise. And with that, I must bid you farewell. I'll be back next month. Until then... Hold your breath walking by graveyards. The rumor is, the dead get jealous. Mm-hmm.